You're listening to the Southern Solstice Podcast with me, Sarah Sadler. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Southern Solstice Podcast. Today, we're on Episode 7, and we'll be finishing Chapter 6. In this part of the book, I get to take you to a place called Boudreaux's Restaurant out on Isle of Palms. And out of all the places in the book where people have asked me if it's a real place or if they can go when they take a trip to Charleston, Boudreaux's is the one that everybody has asked about the most. I did a book event in Lexington, Kentucky last summer, and one of the members had taken a trip to Charleston after she finished Southern Solstice, and she came up to me right away, and she said, I just have to ask you, where exactly is Boudreaux's? Because I went out to Isla Palms, to the northernmost tip overlooking Deweese Inlet, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And I was so sorry to have to tell her that Boudreaux's is completely fictional. If you went out there, you would just find a bunch of sand dunes. Um, But of all the places in the book that I do wish were real so that I could go myself and enjoy it, it would be Boudreaux's. And I think you'll see why, because it's that comfortable, low country, laid back, make yourself at home kind of atmosphere that makes the coastal south so wonderful. So here we go. Let's finish chapter six. The next day, Larkin woke up with a start. She felt guilty for avoiding Jackson, and since everyone apparently knew about their past anyway, and Lil seemed to think he just needed a familiar face, there was no need to play cat and mouse with him. Larkin went for a morning run, pretending to avoid Pris's house strictly for routing purposes, and returned home just as Bart finished highlighting the classifieds. He quietly waited, watching Larkin's face as she read over the day's selection. Larkin let out a laugh when she got to the ad for hot tar roofing supervisor that he had not only highlighted, but also circled and starred with enthusiasm. I think that one's perfect for you, actually, Bart said coolly, motioning to the ad. I can picture it now, just what your mother always wanted for you. Come on, Bart, can't you find something we can all be happy with? Larkin pointed to the ceiling, indicating Bunny. Don't they have any postings for socialite or professional debutante or serial bride? Bart shrugged. I'll see what I can do. Although, you'll be in the perfect place to interview for all of those positions on Wednesday night. Larkin gave Bart a puzzled look, which would be... The Sailor Ball. First Wednesday in May as always. Bart pretended not to know that Larkin had completely forgotten about Bunny's favorite event of the year. Bunny would be crushed if she knew of her daughter's oversight. Oh, God, you've got to be kidding me. Larkin sat down at the table, deflated. How bad would it be if I didn't go? Larkin tapped her fingernails on the table, considering her options of escape. She felt hives creeping up her neck at the thought of such a social setting. Bart sipped at his coffee. I won't dignify that question with a response. You're right, she'd murder me. Larkin rolled her eyes. Actually, that might not be so bad. If there's one thing I don't feel like doing, it's going to a ball. Larkin released an exasperated groan. Except for Sylvia, who was so far into her own world that no one else existed, Larkin had managed to avoid all of her childhood friends since returning home. She had countless messages from people welcoming her back and throwing in the, we are so, so sorry to hear what happened, but she couldn't bring herself to see any of them. She was sure that the sailor ball would feel much like her debutante cotillion, where she was the only girl without a father to present her for the formal introduction. 
and now she would be attending the sailor ball as a social pariah without even so much as a date. Well, you know, Bart suggested, you could go all out and just really do it up, show everybody what they've been missing. Larkin wrinkled up her nose and laughed. Promoting anything garish was uncharacteristic of Bart. What's missing? Bunny asked, walking into the kitchen hurriedly as she caught the last of Bart and Larkin's conversation. She was fully dressed in a brightly printed tunic dress, the colossal diamond stud earrings that she wore when she was ready to take on the world weighing down her earlobes. I was just telling Bart that I'm missing a dress for tomorrow night, Larkin plastered a smile on. Oh, don't worry, we have an appointment today at noon for you to try a few gowns that Raquel at the shop pulled. I'm more worried about you finding a date than a dress. Hmm, what to do, what to do? Bunny pretended to think long and hard. She snapped her fingers together. I got it. You could take Jackson. I know he doesn't have a date, and you've both just come home. Why don't you show yourself friendly and... Mama, no. Larkin cut her off abruptly. What, what I say? Bunny looked shocked. The last thing I need is you playing matchmaker. Bunny shook her head in disbelief, still acting innocent. I am just trying to help you. Can't two friends, two childhood friends, get together and have a good time? Bunny threw her hands up in the air. I guess like everything else I do, it goes without thanks. Bart silently exited the kitchen. That's not what I meant at all. I do appreciate what you do, or try to do, but Lil told me that you know about Jackson and me, and I don't want anybody getting their hopes up that it means anything now, because it sure didn't mean anything then. Bunny nodded in understanding. I see. Well, nobody expects anything. God forbid. And nobody's judging. But you need to understand where I'm coming from. As your mother, I will always have your best interest in mind. And when Jackson told me about you two, wait. Larkin stopped her again, not quite sure she believed her ears. Jackson told you? Yes, right after you moved to Seattle. He was home for a visit, and I don't know, maybe he felt like he could finally fess up. Anyway, he made it sound very real. I have to remember that he was a little bit older than you were. Maybe that made him more serious. But he sure didn't wave it off like you do now. Bunny paused for effect. I think that maybe there were real feelings there. At least there used to be. Larkin felt a sick, sinking feeling. It was always hard to tell with Jackson if he did things for spite or sincerity. They had sworn to never tell anyone, especially not their families, about that winter break, but it seemed apparent yet again that only Larkin was capable of keeping promises. Don't worry, though, Bunny rolled her eyes. I'll make sure and mind my own business. She poured coffee into a travel thermos, dialed voicemail on her cell phone, and headed toward the back door. I'll be back just before noon to pick you up. Thank you, Larkin called as Bunny shut the door. She wasn't sure if she'd heard her or not. After Bunny left, Lil called the main house and asked Larkin if she'd like to have breakfast with her. Larkin showered quickly and threw on a sundress and flip-flops. The rain from the day before had released the usual humidity, so her hair was semi-cooperative and long, loose curls draped over her tan-lined shoulders. Larkin met Lil at the yellow Cadillac, top-down and opera-blasting. Lil wore a huge sun hat, large enough to cast shade over all of derby season, and white capri pants with a green silk top and lightweight zebra print duster. Judging by her outfit, Larkin knew exactly where they were going. Lil handed Larkin a scarf to tie around her hair, and the two were off, bound for a dockside breakfast at Boudreaux's. The wind whipped at their faces while Lil hummed along with the opera and orchestrated the music with her hand. Larkin held on to her scarf-covered hair, 
staring out contentedly as they ventured from the city and toward the Isle of Palms. Lil turned onto Palmetto Drive, continuing past all of the resorts and beach clubs until they reached the wild dunes on the tip of the island overlooking Deweese Inlet, where Boudreaux's restaurant sat firmly established in waist-high bog growth. The restaurant was in an old salt marsh house with open-air porches on two separate levels. This close to the water, there was a constant symphony of natural sounds and the distinct scent of mud sediments and spartina grass that was comforting once a fondness for it was acquired. Lil parked the car and climbed out excitedly, waiting for Larkin to finish combing through her wind-blown hair. Martha, the proprietor of Boudreaux's, was Lil's friend from childhood. After Martha's husband Hester Boudreaux died, she sold their home on Rainbow Row and renovated the upstairs of the restaurant into an apartment. Their son Bobby took over the restaurant, and Martha continued doing what she did best, entertaining the guests and making the restaurant feel like a second home. The Boudreaux's had a small fishing fleet, and the family prided themselves on having a menu that changed with the daily catch. Well, aren't you a sight for sore eyes, Martha called from the top deck. What did you bring me? She motioned at Lil's guest, squinting to see who it was. Lil smiled widely. It's my larkin, Lil yelled up to her. Can you believe it? Martha clapped her hands together and quickly made her way down the stairs to the car. She hugged Lil quickly and ran over to Larkin, pulling her in for a tight embrace. Martha was a small, strong woman with boundless energy and short, almost boyishly styled gray hair. Her skin was the color and texture of tanned leather, more evidence of her life near and on the water, but she was weathered elegantly and entirely charming. Do you realize that I have not seen you since your college graduation party? Martha pulled away from Larkin, holding onto her wrists. You are absolutely stunning. Larkin smiled. Thanks, it's been a while. Doesn't look like anything has changed out here, though. Not one bit. Only thing that time has touched is me, Martha laughed. Y'all come on in. She waved them enthusiastically toward the restaurant. Bobby and the boys got back not 20 minutes ago with a beautiful catch. Lil and Larkin followed Martha up the stairs to the porch overlooking the marsh. An expansive dock that seemed to go for miles connected the shallow marsh to the deeper waters at the mouth of the estuary, where the fishing boats shoved off from and returned to. A couple of small boats bobbed in the water as the fishermen busied themselves with putting away nets and crab cages. Besides Larkin and Lil, only a few other guests were busy drinking coffee, dining on bone china that Martha had collected from estate sales over the years, and sitting at the mismatched walnut tables, distressed by constant use and exposure to the elements. Like the low country itself, Boudreaux's was a perfect mix of wild elegance and raw earth. Martha made her rounds through the restaurant, greeting the locals by their first names while Larkin and Lil sat watching the cranes lurking through the water, gigging the occasional helpless fish. When you were very young, no bigger than knee-high to a grasshopper, you said you wanted to live out here. Lil twinkled as she reminisced years past. You said you were going to be a dolphin that the boats could never catch. You remember that? Mm, Larkin smiled. And you told me you thought there was a fin growing on my back. Lil laughed gently. Larkin thought that being there, soaking in the sounds and breathing in the salty, boggish air, that she knew precisely how Peter Pan must have felt each time he returned to Neverland. She felt so light and carefree there, suspended in time with Lil, transported to a much simpler time when nothing had gone wrong and her whole life was still a mystery. Much of her life was still a mystery, but the almighty first that you so look forward to when you are very young were spoiled, ruined by poor choices and bad experiences. 
None of that mattered now, though. Sitting on the porch with Lil, overlooking the marshland where everything dwelled in harmony, Larkin could have believed she was seven and keen to life again. Martha brought out two shrimp and grits breakfasts, a low country classic, and Lil's absolute favorite. Basketfuls of Boudreaux's homestyle bacon-wrapped biscuits were brought out to the table until Larkin and Lil were unfathomably stuffed. Martha said her goodbyes to them after refusing Lil's money and playfully berating Bobby for bringing her the check in the first place. Larkin felt refreshed and reluctant to leave the bubble of heaven that she and Lil had been enveloped in. Lil didn't turn the opera back on once they were in the car. It paled in comparison to the organic concerto of nature they had been listening to. Larkin breathed in deeply as they crossed back over onto the mainland, exhausted from the sensory overload on Isle of Palms. Until they pulled through the gate of the Ashby house at 11.59 a.m., Larkin had forgotten about her appointment with Bunny and made a quick mental plea that her mood had improved significantly. Bunny walked towards the car purposefully as Lil and Larkin parked. She couldn't tell if the look on Bunny's face was out of irritability or from the sun being in her eyes, but Larkin sensed that she was going to exhaust any guilt she felt entitled to anyway. Oh boy, Lil said as she watched Bunny stride forward. She looks a little feisty, you ready? Larkin smiled at Bunny through the windshield as she walked closer to the car. She did not smile back. Can you come with us? Larkin asked Lil. I think I might need protecting. Larkin kept the smile plastered on her face, not wanting to agitate Bunny further. Uh-uh, no needin' us both being eaten alive. Lil opened the door before Larkin could plead. You were almost late, Bunny said curtly as Larkin opened the passenger door. Good grief, it's two minutes away. Lil gave Larkin a quick look, reminding her to tread carefully on Bunny's tumultuous soil. Don't be difficult, Bunny said curtly. If you're on time, you're late. She pulled a pair of sunglasses from a case in her handbag and turned quickly on her heels, sashaying toward the car. Larkin mouthed the words help at Lil as she followed after Bunny. Have fun, Lil snickered, and play nice, Bunny. Bunny threw an arm up in the air at Lil, resembling an indifferent wave. Bunny drove quickly to Delaney's boutique, fidgeting with her phone the entire way to avoid conversation. Larkin was determined to not let anything muddle her most delightful morning, and in true Bunny fashion, Larkin knew she would put on a good show for the duration of their shopping trip. Larkin people watched out the window as they approached the hustle of King Street, keeping her emotions as flexible as possible for the ensuing drama. Bunny whipped her Lexus SC into the parking lot behind the shop and grabbed her handbag from the back seat. Let's get this show on the road. Larkin resisted the urge to snicker and instead smiled tightly. Raquel, the store manager, met them at the door with enough enthusiasm to float a boat. She was probably Larkin's age with reddish hair and a bob haircut and a curvaceous figure squeezed into a designer pencil skirt and vest. Larkin peered to the back of the store where a rolling rack of cocktail dresses hung by the dressing room. Oh, just wait until you see what Raquel has pulled for you. It's all fabulous, absolutely fabulous. The last of Bunny's words trailed off as she was drawn toward a display of costume jewelry like a moth to the flame. Raquel stood with her hands clasped in front of her, a smile plastered on her face as she waited for Larkin's attention. I think we've got just the thing for you, Raquel said, the words a bit rehearsed. Larkin smiled widely at the girl to compensate for the lack of excitement she felt. She knew it wasn't the girl's fault to assume she was as demanding as her mother. Raquel walked Larkin toward the rolling rack draped with luxurious fabrics and lavish embroidery in all cuts and colors. I'm guessing size four? Raquel asked. 
Oh, please, Bunny yelled from across the room. Most of those twos you pulled will swallow her alive. We have petite bones. Larkin looked at Raquel apologetically. I think it probably depends on the dress. Raquel nodded in agreement and pulled a nude silk Alberta Ferretti and a red chiffon Valentino off the rack and held them up for Larkin with an encouraging smile. Let's start with these. Larkin walked into the dressing room behind Raquel. Thank you, she said before closing the curtain. The first dress wasn't off the hanger when Bunny flung the curtain back and handed Larkin a glass of champagne and three more dresses, one plain black with spaghetti straps, a practically see-through white strapless, and a canary-yellow Greek-style dress with ornate beading. While Larkin tried on the dresses, Bunny rifled through the hangers on the rack, directing Raquel on what would and wouldn't work and occasionally shouting, Nope! Larkin listened to Raquel's courteous responses to Bunny and hoped she worked on commission. She would earn every penny. Don't you need to find something to wear too, Mama? Larkin asked from the dressing room. Already got it. I'm wearing the silver Halston that I got for your wedding. I figured I shouldn't punish the dress for what happened. Bunny laughed heartlessly. Larkin stared into the mirror with the red Valentino half on. She felt limp. The reminder of her failure would weigh on forever, it seemed, with no escape by distance or time. You remember it? Bunny continued. The one-shoulder silk number? I think I emailed you a picture of it. It's a stunner. Larkin didn't want to respond and acknowledge the hurt, but supposed silence did the same thing anyway. Lark? Bunny called. Raquel excused herself to the back room to top off champagne glasses and avoid the obvious awkwardness. I'm sorry, Larkin. I should have thought about how that would make you feel before I blurted it out. How awful of me. Larkin pulled the Valentino onto her shoulders before gliding the side zipper up. It's fine. No. Bunny's voice carried a rare tone of sorry. No, it's not. It's not fine for me to just do or say whatever I want and expect you to deal with it. She sighed heavily. I'm done trying to make you see everything my way. Larkin waited a moment before peeking her head out of the curtain. Promise? Bunny rolled her eyes. Swear. It's just hard seeing you, my own daughter, with every opportunity in the world, not realize it and continually punish herself for things out of her control. Now get on out here and let me see you. Larkin reluctantly peeled back the curtain of the dressing room and stood stiffly in front of her mother. Well, it's something all right, Bunny said, blinking hard at the lipstick red Valentino. Reminds me of something one of the McAwful girls would wear. Larkin's eyes widened at the comparison. Bunny had a long-standing aversion of the McAwful girl's mother, Regina McAffrey. Since childhood, Larkin didn't find them that off-putting, but she knew it wasn't a compliment. Raquel emerged from the back of the store with a bucket of ice and a freshly corked bottle of champagne. Have we found any winners yet? She asked hopefully. No, but we will, Bunny winked. Never thought a Valentino would pale in comparison to anybody, but Lark's got him beat. Larkin looked at Raquel and shook her head in disagreement. We don't think red is my color, she motioned to Bunny. Fourteen dresses and four glasses of champagne later, Bunny asked Raquel if she could explore the store. I just feel like there's something here that we're missing, Bunny said as she placed her fingertips on her temple, channeling the fashion spirits. She shuffled through racks of clothes, not looking for anything as much as she was waiting for something to reach out and grab her. After a few minutes, Raquel and Larkin jumped at a shrill squeal from the back of the store. Larkin! Bunny yelled as she clip-clopped down the hallway towards the dressing room. You will never believe what I found, just hanging there like a bat in a cave. 
Raquel's eyes swelled as she tried to imagine what Bunny could have found that she hadn't seen. Bunny reached the two girls and drew in a sharp, noisy breath for dramatic effect. Are you ready for this? She looked back and forth between Raquel, captivated by the mysterious discovery, and Larkin, unamused by Bunny's antics. I have found a vintage Coco Chanel haute couture gown. I can tell just by looking at it that it's the right size and everything. Look at it. She held it up and spun it around on the hanger, her eyes twinkling with excitement. Larkin couldn't help but smile. From the strapless sweetheart neckline all the way down to the stacked, knee-length hemline of the black lace fabric framed delicately onto an hourglass shape, the dress was perfect. Now what's the story with this dress, Missy? Bunny asked, turning to Raquel with a scrunched face. Were you holding this back for someone else? Maybe Monroe Ludlow or Regina McCaffrey? Larkin was relieved that Bunny hadn't referred to them as McAwful again. Raquel spat and sputtered before collecting her words. No, not at all. I pulled everything I could for you. I saw it back there, but I thought it just looked old. Bunny scoffed. Oh, my darling girl. This is the essence of vintage haute couture. Larkin took the dress from Bunny and disappeared into the dressing room one more time. She stepped into the liquid fabric and pulled it up over her hips like it was a second skin of black lace. She turned in the mirror, admiring the definition in her legs that the dress's length complemented, and for the first time in a long time, something felt right. Well, Bunny's voice squeaked from outside the curtain, you gonna let me see it or what? Larkin emerged from the dressing room and stood smiling in front of Bunny and Raquel. Even in flip-flops with wind-blown hair and makeup that had burned off in the sun hours ago, she felt a piece inside of her heel. Oh, Bunny hummed. Dang, dang. Big time winner, baby. Larkin nodded. I think so, too. Well, you won't be dancing alone long, Bunny winked encouragingly. That's for sure. I won't be dancing alone at all, Larkin said, admiring the dress in the mirror again. I'll be dancing with Jackson Winslow. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of Southern Solstice Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or by visiting my website, sarahsadler.com.